Executive functioning guru, Dr. Lynn Meltzer, said, When they use strategies that address the core executive function processes, they also become independent learners and flexible thinkers, and can more easily bypass their weaknesses while using their strengths to learn efficiently. I'm Danielle. And I'm Raleigh. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Oh yeah, that's a jam today. Oh yeah. Way to uh, get us started on the right foot, talking about uh, self-regulation and initiation. Or self-monitoring. Or self-monitoring. <laughs> You're, you came prepared today, I, I see. I did. I'm ready. We want to revisit executive functioning because we know that it's a very popular topic, both a passion of both of ours as well. Um, and I feel that personally that self-monitoring goes maybe under regarded I don't know that's I feel like that's not an area people often often think about I think with executive functioning we think a lot about organization planning initiation to some extent um and I think for me the self-monitoring piece is so important for creating more independence and more confidence maybe with academic tasks and just daily tasks yeah and I think we often miss the initiation piece of everything um you know I I was looking for quotes around laziness because I hear that so much that, you know, the student's lazy. But really, a lot of times when you actually sit and observe the student, they have difficulty understanding how to push through their own anxiety to start the task at mm-hmm. hand. And, I, you know, we've definitely focused a lot on accommodations in our, our podcast, but I think I cannot express it enough how critically important it is to make sure kids have those accommodations and modifications in place, especially if they are written into the IEP. But even if they're not, we've talked about how that can be universal for kids in a classroom. Um, I've watched students just, you know, get more and more frustrated because of the fact that they're not exactly sure how to start something, how to, you know, go in through and execute that task in the correct way. Um, that feeds into different types of you know, reaction. Some kids will just withdraw and sort of sit and wait. Other kids may have more of a verbal outburst. Some kids even have physical outbursts from that. And sometimes you can really go back and say, well, had we structured this a little differently, that might have prevented that outburst. Not only that, but we're creating that success of, hey, if we structure it this way and you start to internalize that, then you can apply it the next time. Or, you know, even if it takes five, six, seven times of doing it, you can apply that yourself and start to feel some of that agency and confidence about completing academic tasks specifically, but any task really. It's funny. I I don't think I told this story on the podcast we did specifically on executive functioning, but I had this student one, years ago and she took a break with me and wanted to play Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And she knew she only had 10 minutes. I set the timer up, right? Good teaching practices. You set the timer. Well, the reality is she didn't she couldn't self-monitor. She knew she had 10 minutes, but she couldn't self-monitor. So mm-hmm. she wanted to build this house on Minecraft in creative mode, for those of you who are fans <laughs> like me. Um, and so she was starting to gather the materials and then decided like, oh, maybe I'll make a bed. And so then she got off the topic of like building mm-hmm. the house. And then from there, it went to two or three different spots. And I was reminding her how much time she had left. And like, really, she had no idea how much time she was taking to do specific things mm-hmm. or how much. And so... You know, a timer is what I learned in that moment. A timer is great for kids that understand the lapsing right. of time. Yeah. Um, and so what I started doing with her after that, and I did m- mention this in the last episode, is use the coloring in a glass clock so that she could see the passage of time and how much 
pink she had left before she had to start ending the activity. But it was really mind-blowing to me that she really had no idea how to... And what so many kids don't. And then was upset that she she didn't finish the house. Right. (laughs) Well, and there's other ways to do that, too. I think there's ways to structure... Let's say it's a longer than 10 minutes activity. It's a 40-minute block or something. You could say, it should take us, as a class, about this long to do this part. And then start to give kids a sense of, of that passage of time. So the clock idea is great, coloring the clock. There's also ways to break up academic tasks or, you know, whatever the activity is to say, it should take us about this long to get this part of it done. So it should take us this many minutes to get the materials, to get out all your papers and things you're going to need, this much to do this first part. Just giving kids that practice of how long does something take? How long should it feel that it takes? I think with with stuff that's more preferred or like free choice, it can be, okay, you have 10 minutes. What are the things you want to do in this game? Oh, you want to build a house and you want to gather this. And maybe at first you're going to need to really be structuring that and saying to the student, well, you you wanted to do this. You wanted to build a house. Now you've gone into collecting things out in the fields. I don't know. Minecraft fields. Yeah. And you're in the woods sometimes. And you're smelting things. I don't know. I just want to use that word. Yeah, okay. um, it seems like we've strayed off of building the house. So the building of the house we thought would take 10 minutes. Now, how long do you think it's going to take if you're going to go off and do this? We may not have time to fit. And you find that kids are often receptive to that. Like, oh, okay, great. I, I should actually just focus on this. And then they feel again like they've succeeded in the task rather than feeling frustrated that their original task didn't get completed. They got pulled off task and now it's all just a mess rather than, okay, well, we succeeded in this and maybe next time we can go do this other piece of it. Well, and I think even to your point of previewing, going as far as dot, like writing it down so mm-hmm. that they can see it. How yep. long do you think it'll take? 10 minutes. What are the things that you need to gather? And that way you can check, almost check the list off as the student's going through it. And if they veer off task, you can refer to that sheet and say, does this, you know was this on the list or are mm-hmm. we veering off that's okay if you want to veer off but you know here's what you're going to be missing and having it structured the other the other thing too is for some kids where you have to make it even more concrete you you can almost say like this activity is going to take five minutes it's as long as taking a shower or whatever mm-hmm. like you could if you want to compare it to something else concrete so they have like a a visual of how long mm-hmm. it would take well, and I think that check-in is really important, like you were saying. So checking in at different points during the, the completion of an assignment. It's also super helpful at the end to process and say, well, how long did this take? And maybe for that student, it takes longer than 10 minutes to you know, complete the first two pages of something or whatever, whatever the assignment is. Or maybe it takes them longer than two minutes to gather their materials. And you can also say, hey, this, this, we thought it would take two minutes. It actually took five. Let's think about how next time we can eliminate this thing or how can we be more efficient you're going to find that the more you do these things with a system with a plan kids will become more efficient because they're getting used to that routine and we don't want to take things for granted i i talk to colleagues all the time about if you thought you broke something down far enough you probably didn't even though that seems ridiculous you brought you broke it down you bro- you broke it down you broke it down do it even more with the idea that you don't always have to do you won't always forever have to do that hopefully but you start with that so broken down and then you start becoming more, the kids becoming more efficient. They're becoming more skilled at it and less of that is needed from the adult. And then you're getting kids to be more independent, which allows you to maybe work with kids that need more of your support 
or you get to breathe for five seconds and think of the next thing you're doing rather than being pulled in a million directions because kids need so much help with every aspect of an activity. And I think it's also important, you know, I, I think I see the largest challenge in this from school year to school year when, you know, the elementary level, I feel like a lot of these things are naturally embedded mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. curriculum, in your teaching practices as an elementary school teacher. Now, whether that's, you know, the tran- the big middle school transition is for sixth grade or for seventh grade or even, you know, transition to high school or even sometimes a transition from third to fourth grade, for example, having those having that communication with with colleagues to make sure that what they're doing, you can start scaffolding away from Mm -hmm. as kids get older, but you don't lose it completely. And I think there's suddenly this expectation when kids hit middle school specifically that they should just know how to do all of Mm -hmm. these things and that they should just understand how what what they can accomplish in 47 or 50 or an hour. And and really, I feel like that's still really hard for them. Mm -hmm. As an adult, it's hard for me sometimes where I'm like, oh, I can get all... All this cleaning done today, and then it's four o'clock, and I'm like, "Oh, how did I not do that?" <laughs> I got the closet well, cleaned, and, and that's that makes it. <laughs> such a good point that this is all for life. I mean, these are skills to build for life, not just for school. These aren't just isolated; they're they're spread across so many things. This affects social interactions. This affects emotional regulation. This affects daily living skills. It goes across the board. So it's applied in other places and they're learning it maybe in school really specifically, but they're getting to apply it other places and understanding that. I always love to say to kids, like, remember when this was hard for you and look how you got to this place with it. That can be applied here, this new situation. You can use that new, this old information and this practice you had and apply it to a new situation. And then they're seeing that they can be successful in multiple places and multiple activities. Well, given this post-COVID era, um, ensuring that kids can start generalizing these skills, mm-hmm. not, it's not just isolated to school, right. I think is a huge, I think it's a huge push from a um, Department of Ed standpoint of, you know, kids generalizing skills outside the school where traditionally I, you know, myself can speak to, I can speak for myself, I should say, is that I was like, well, if kids learn it in school, then that's it. Like, that's our job. We are mm-hmm. school-based services. We're school-based X. But the reality is, is that we are teaching kids to be lifelong learners. We're teaching kids to, you know, grow up, have jobs, be um, independent members of society. And so in order to do that, all of the skills we're teaching in such an explicit way in the classroom, we have to support them in that sort of jump to to generalizing it in the community, home, and other settings. Well, it's such a balance, too, because I think you can, you know, I'm assuming for a teacher, it could feel like, well, either I'm doing so much for these kids that it's like overwhelming the amount of modifications I'm putting in or combinations I'm putting in. Or you can be at the other extreme of saying, I expect this certain level, like you're saying, your seventh grade, eighth grade, I expect you to know how to complete these things. I shouldn't have to break it down for you this way. So there's almost like, how do you find that medium? And some kids obviously need more, some kids need less. What we don't want to do is lose kids through this process where again, some of them may just withdraw or they wait or they're, you know, if someone's not going to come to me and give me that first push, I'm just going to wait, 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 wait. And then I'm not producing the type of assignment that I should be. If I had been given a little bit of a push initially and given some of that scaffolding initially, I might be able to succeed in that. But if I'm waiting because I should know how to do it, maybe I'm not doing as much as I'm capable of. Well, and I would challenge those listening to this podcast to think about some of your kids who might be a trickier 
you know, a trickier student for you that may not complete assignments that may, you know, avoid go to the bathroom three times Mm -hmm. during your class. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, whatever else they choose to do, get silly, make make everyone laugh. You know, if you sit back and think about, um, initiating tasks, for example, really, you know, one thing, and it, and it could be very well that they just don't want to do it, but, (laughs) but do they truly understand what the expectation is? Do they, are they overwhelmed with how long they perceive it's going to take? Are they anxious because they don't think they know how to do what you're asking them to do? You know, all of these questions that not to put more on teachers, because I feel like we We always always say we, (laughs) we always say we don't want to put more on teachers, but just like a quick two second thought of like, is this student avoiding because they're they can't get over that initial hump of mm-hmm. getting started. Right. And it could be something where they're, they're not understanding it verbally and you expressed it verbally and they're, they're just not at that place where the verbal information makes as much sense as pairing it with a visual. I would also say as much as maybe expecting more than what a kid's ready to do. I also think we can fall into the trap of doing too much for kids that do have the ability to kind of shake the training wheels at some point and we're still overly uh, accommodating and I am always pushing for increased function and independence that is just you know that can maybe become my middle name I don't know but Mm. I would always want to guide students to increased independence especially as we're getting to those you know late elementary middle school years unless they really need this kind of support like someone with them or constantly prompting constantly providing when you feel that you can start pulling those things away a little bit and you realize that they're soaring above what you expect often. So I think that's, again, that happy medium of you start maybe with more and you fade that away at some point. It's not, shouldn't always be that way unless you have a kid that really needs that specific amount of attention. Well, and it's a, a goal that, so talk about executive functioning, it's a, it's a goal setting or an achievement. And so you can make it a big deal for students to be like, wow, last year you really needed me to make this checklist or mm-hmm. you really needed me to, you know, keep you on track throughout the class. And, or I heard your teacher did that last year and this year look at you go you know I think that's important too so Raleigh my question for you is what are Mm -hmm. some tools or strategies that you might give someone to help with some of that self-monitoring well one of the things I love to do is create um, and I probably have talked about this in the past but I like to create what I call the difficulty scale so it goes along the lines of like a problem scale that we're all pretty familiar with if we know about social thinking and um, the five-point scale so we instead create a five point difficulty scale, which essentially is how much help, you know, how hard is the task and how much help do you think you're going to need with the task? And so when they create the scale, they use maybe images or ideas that are very, um, personal to them. Um, so for example, I had a student using musical instruments and she would rate it based on the musical instrument, how difficult that instrument was to play, but we would translate that to, okay, what's a task you do every day that's, you could do independently. And she'll say maybe like spelling, So then that's something we know, something similar to that level would be a one. What's something really challenging? Oh, you know, math is really hard for me. So that's a five. I'm going to need a lot more help with that. And so we start to have kids identify what level, and you can even physically make a little, um, like a little card that has like indicators. I use like a little bead on a string, put it where you think it is. You can even have two where the, your, the kid is putting it where they think it is. The adults putting it where they think it is. So maybe the kid thinks that's a five for me every time, five, five, I need all the help in the world. The adults saying, I think it's a two or three. Then you can go through the activity and at the end you can process, well, how was that actually? So you said it was a five. Did it turn out to be a five? 
and then you're having that conversation, but kids are starting to generalize that it doesn't have to just be about say math or spelling, but you can start applying it to other things and other situations. Um, I also really like editing checklists, any sort of visual that allows a kid independently at their desk to start thinking about how to do, how to start anything on their own. So I always say to teachers who are telling me, you know, this kid needs so much support. Oh, they need me constantly to come over to their desk. I say, every kid knows how to do something independently. Even if you start with just, I know you can write your name on the paper. I'm going to come back in a minute or two after you've written your name on the paper. And we're going to check in and see what the next step is. That's a strategy I used to use all the time was like, I'm going to have this and give them an explicit instruction that I knew that they could do. I'm going to come back in one minute to see how you're doing with that. Oftentimes you find that once that kid gets over the hump of just putting pencil to paper, for Mm -hmm. example, they figure out how they can do it. Now, sometimes that's not the case. And I think the, your suggestions can also be universally designed. Um, so you could start your year where everyone has a difficulty scale on Mm -hmm. their desk, for example, or like in their agenda or binders or whatever. And you can have that. And, you know, some kids are going to be more efficient at it than others, but it's not singling any student out Mm -hmm. that may need more help because they can all, at some point, every single student's going to need some additional support, even if they're a math whiz, um, in math class and you're challenging them or finding their, you know, uh, what is it called? It's like, um, their challenge zone, but it's called something. Oh, I'll come up with it. That's really good. Yep. Great. Um, anyway, it's like you're pushing them, but not pushing them over the edge. Um, and if you're finding that they're all going to need that difficulty skill to some extent. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a good universal design. I also think it's really good for initiation. Yeah. You know, if they're predicting their, you can walk through the classroom. If they're predicting their difficulty level and you see that they're thinking it's a five, they may need help getting over that hump with Mm -hmm. like an I do, we do, you do type model. Um, Or I know we talked about the get ready, do done piece. That's really helpful as well. I also like the idea of modifying something almost to, you know, to say like, Hey, even if you know ahead of time, you really only want them to do 10 math problems, but you give them a 20 math problem worksheet and you say, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to take 10 of these problems off. You're already creating a sense of relief, whether you believe it or not, because they, they look at it. I mean, so many of our, I've had plenty of students who can't even look at a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's too hard. I can't do it. They're not even looking at it. They don't even know what it says. They're just assuming it's too hard for them. So if you hand them that and say, you know what? You're right. This is a lot of problems. I'm going to take 10 of them off of here. Or giving them the choice. You can pick 10 that you want to do and the rest of them, you're all done. And that sometimes creates the ability to feel like, okay, this is now a a mountain I can climb. I'm going to be able to initiate that just on the sheer fact that you took away some of the stress of all the work. You've modified the amount and given them the sense of control in that situation. Well, and some of the reframing that we've been doing um, with teachers that I work with um, is really reframing the word mastery versus a strong understanding or an mm-hmm. understanding of the content. And you don't necessarily need a 20 page worksheet or 20 page, oh my God, 20 problem <laughs> worksheet. You definitely don't want 20 page. No, no. You don't need a 20 problem worksheet to know whether or not a student is understanding the right. content you're teaching. And couple that if you have a learning objective up on the board or you know, any of that where kids know what's expected of them by the end of class, there's some previewing there um, and it will help them get over that hump of knowing. And like, it, and you know, like we said, just minimizing the problems to you till you're comfortable knowing that they understand the content area. I mean, absolutely. And I think there's another concept or idea of um, giving a student something you know very well is at their level and that they have 
independence and completing. And maybe if this is a kid who's a work refusal kid or just has a lot of anxiety, pushes back, doesn't want to start it, it's too hard, giving that student something that they do feel confident about, what maybe it's even in a preferred subject or whatever, but you're giving them something to show like you, this actually, shout out to one of my colleagues recently did this with a student who has a lot of learning challenges. And his response to academics is always, I can't, you need to help me. I don't know how to do this. I don't, you know, you don't, you're not listening to me. I don't know how. And she gave him something that was clearly at a level he could accomplish a success with. And he immediately said, I can't do it. And she said, why don't you look at what it is? And he laughed and said, oh yeah, you're right. I know how to do this. And then proceeded to do a bunch of independent work. Was it where he should be at? No, not yet. But it showed that it's giving him that confidence build even if you have to take it way back to feel like I can do this, I have some skill. It may not be what all my peers are doing, but I do have some skills. I do have some knowledge. I can apply it here and I can show that I'm a student. That builds a lot of confidence. And again, it may be individually, it may not be all of your students needing that, but it can be helpful to do that. Well, it's amazing as we talk during this you know, podcast episode of how wide self-monitoring is mm-hmm. across someone's life not just school well, but how like under I think it's an underrepresented part of executive functioning yeah. I think we don't think often of it like you're just you know every every strategy you're bringing up it's like oh yeah that's you know helping their ability to self-monitor helping their ability to build independence and be being productive students without someone literally sitting by their side all the time and mm-hmm. I feel like it just goes so it is it's definitely underrepresented it's under taught um when I see um curriculum or work related to specific executive functioning skill building, I don't often see the self-monitoring piece. It's more like you said at the beginning of the episode, like the agendas mm-hmm. or, you know, the um, the planning or the goal setting and all of those things, mm-hmm. which I feel like, yes, they're, it's an important piece of executive functioning, but these nuanced ones that are underrepresented, like self-monitoring, like initiation of tasks, I feel like is really important to keep talking about. And my OT friends out there, don't be afraid to add that as an objective. I do that quite often, especially with some of my older students I've been working with for a while where, you know, some of the more, you know, we've, we've sort of analyzed the task to be very piecemeal of like the handwriting and they're going to form their letters a certain way. They're going to type a certain amount. And I've kind of increased what I expect to this executive functioning level. If it's not getting covered elsewhere, I often suggest initiation and self-monitoring objectives just to kind of make sure that piece of it's there and creating that independence. And I usually have a good response to that. So I would encourage working that in somewhere if you're kind of stumped about what to do with a student you've had for a while that you know still needs a level of support, but maybe doesn't need to work on these individual skills as much, but needs to start consolidating. And we're getting into that higher level skill set area. Well, it's funny that you say that because our team is working a lot on, um, you know, there's a big, in Massachusetts, there's um, new dyslexia guidance that just came out and, you know, kids with these learning gaps specific to scores. And I I think that is also a place where executive functioning is underrepresented, like thinking about yeah. decoding and encoding and the skills that you need to, I'm also taking a dyslexia class, so I'm learning all about the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, it's hard sometimes to, to decipher a student's disability of like, it, whether they need explicit phonics teaching or if they just need some executive functioning support. And I think that um, all goes hand in hand to what we're talking about. Yeah. As we come to the end of our episode today, mm-hmm. I have, you know, a would you rather. Of course. 
And this one is a little silly. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think so. Would you rather have to always wear heavy boots or never be able to wear shoes? Oh, uh, I think I'm going to go shoeless. I also am going shoeless. You know what? You can toughen your feet up, right? There's people that do that. They toughen their feet up so they can go through the, they, people go in the woods and hike without we both, shoes. We both know someone. We do. We know we someone who does that. Who does that specifically. And I, and I there is someone um, out in the community where I live that walks barefoot even in cold weather. So you can toughen your feet up. So yeah, I'd be afraid about my feet touching like gross, yeah. squishy things, but I would rather do that. I, for people that know me, I hate wearing socks. So mm-hmm. I can only imagine how horrible I would feel wearing heavy boots. Okay. You could always wear the heavy boots without the socks, but then the heavy boots will make your feet sweat. It's, it's a mean, whole thing. Yeah, yeah I, I can't. No, I no shoes for this girl. All right. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And we want to thank our new partner, Kelly, for helping us out with, um, some, things social media related and she's just going to be a really good resource for us so kelly we very much appreciate you and welcome to the welcome to the team yeah so all right find us on social media and we will talk to you soon thanks everyone bye bye